0: Stop into one of their thousands of retail locations and talk with a battery specialist about batteries for your truck, trail cameras, and even those weird batteries for your rangefinder. Interstate Batteries even offers cell phone repair in certain locations. For more information, visit interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Transform the way you hunt with the all-new base cellular trail camera connected by the Moultrie mobile app.
1: Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Pennsylvania Woodsman Podcast. Got Mitchell Shirk and...
2: Robbie Henney. How you doing, Mitchell?
1: Just another day in paradise. I heard you were getting ready for football practice already. You guys have like a spring session going on, or are you just like doing regular housekeeping stuff leading into
2: summer? Um, We have a spring session that's coming up here in May. Um, I know... They're really trying to get the middle school team more involved in the, with the varsity team and getting on the same schedule, getting guys ready for when they move up to varsity. Um, so my head coach has been reaching out to us a lot, trying to get in the weight room. And then I think Wednesday nights we're gonna start doing. I think sometime in May start doing uh, summer sessions, May, June, July already. So it's only an hour and a half. I think like six, seven thirty. So um, to kind of see. What type of guys we have, and and get prepared for the season. We're going into a new offense this year too, so that extra practice will help. But, Are you
1: looking forward to the new offense?
2: I mean, it'll be something different. I don't know. Going into a spread offense, never did a spread offense before, so I don't think it's going to be as complex when it comes to running backs knowing a lot of rules. But who know? I don't. I, I have no clue. I'm I'm looking forward to it looking forward to it. So,
1: so it's going to be a learning curve for you just as much as yeah, probably for, the team.
2: Yeah, for everyone. And the other two coaches, three coaches who I coach with at the middle school level, they're all older, so they're real old school. So they don't know they, – they're even further behind than I am. So it'll be – I can't really say it'll be an interesting season. I think it'll be a pretty decent season, but I think it'll, it'll be a lot of learning going on for both the players and us, but – just happy spring's springs finally coming now.
1: You got that right. I was up at a farm the other day. I had a meeting with a grower, one of my new clients. We were going through some herbicide stuff. We were going through some fertilizer stuff for his, his farm. He's got like 125 acres. He's planting soybeans. But anyway, we are out in the just at the parking lot of his farm. <clears throat> it was like, I don't know, 12, 1 o'clock in the afternoon. It was beautiful. It was like that first stretch of bluebird weather yep. that we had there. It's like sixty five degrees and we're shooting the bull, and I'm talking farming and all of a sudden go, 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 in the background here turkey <laughs> gobbling and it's like ADHD kicks in, it's like, Oh, there's a turkey and then I started of course asking questions it's like, Hey, do, do you turkey hunt here? You see a lot of turkeys? Oh yeah, there's turkeys here. I'm like, Well can I hunt here? Yeah. <laughs> He's like, you could do whatever. I don't care. That's the cool thing about a lot of the farmers I work with. Most of them don't care. You can just. Yeah. A lot of them would let you go hunting. I mean, I have some places that I could go hunting, and there's just not enough time in the day.
2: Yeah. Now I know, and especially with, I mean, I know I'd get pumped up if I was, if I was traveling around and seeing all sorts of game all the time and on the, on the farms. But it always seems like March takes forever to get through, and now it's already what the third, fourth week, third week of April already, almost end of April turkey season
1: is a recording this it's we uh, it's recording weeks, it's yeah when this of a little bit 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 of a little i
2: mean, uh, of you know, I little bit of a little bit of a lot of information. He, he knows a lot he of a lot of a lot he his a lot that's for a little
1: sure. he said too he's like turkey hunting is almost he said this to me in conversation the one day little bit Turkey hunting, like people, it's like it's like a cult. Yeah. Like, like everybody's got their own method to their madness, and this is the way to do it, and everybody else is wrong kind of deal. And it, it just made me laugh because he's like turkeys are turkeys are turkeys, and he's yep. like, you know just it was uh it was just I it it was all stuff like I knew like I, I turkey hunted in the fall, and I rarely do anymore, but like those are all the stuff you talk about like following sign, reading sign, trying to find turkeys, you know. You know turkey's being turkey's yeah. kind of deal, and he's I think he said it in our episode if you're if you're a good fall hunter, you'll be a really good spring hunter yep. and like all those concepts he was basing on like it's stuff that somewhere in my in my mind I had some of that information stored, but I'll be the first to admit like I was going around just letting a rip trying to find a bird that wanted to play the script for a while part of that's self inflicted too just because like now a lot of the time I'll go and turkey hunt for like an hour or two before work yeah so then you're forcing that situation yep and it made me wonder too like okay if i do that and i do it a lot is that actually going to be hurting me yeah you know am i better off in a sense going to uh you know let's go into the mountain or something or going up to private peace and like doing that once every now and then or Am I better off trying to mix my spots up? I don't have a lot of spots. I mean, one of the things I've been thinking about is, like, should I go and, like, push myself to learn some new pieces? Like, I think about my travel routes and days to work. Like, I have a set schedule every two weeks and try to go from here to there. And I pass state land all the time. And it comes down to, like... Get your head out of your rear end. Get some mental toughness. Get up a little bit earlier and and go turkey hunting at those. Because some of those places, it's like an hour drive to get there. Then I'd be close to work, but it's just getting up early,
2: and it's motivation for turkeys. No, I know. That's how I was in deer season. I could get into work. If I could get into work early, get done early, and then get out in the afternoon. But some days, it was like I really don't feel like getting up early, so I didn't get out as much as I wanted to. Real early in archery season, but worked out in the end
1: I usually don't have that problem in deer season
2: now I know I know
1: <laughs> yeah but you know talking about talking about fertilizer herbicides stuff like that it kind of got me thinking again for spring plots because we're right here I know some people I had some people call me about managing their clover field plots managing their you know alfalfa whether that's food plot related or if it's uh one of my growers that has alfalfa they grow they grow for uh, <clears throat> grow for harvest for cattle or, or for hay and the the clover conversation is uh is always big this year and i kind of wanted to talk about spring plots today and i mean the first thing i wanted to talk about was clover and alfalfa i had said this before in another episode a few weeks back that <clears throat> There's, there's a lot of information out right now about when to plant clover. And there, there's one very well-known um, habitat manager, consultant, person who I have a lot of respect for, but he's done some videos on clover and he says that spring is like the worst time to plant clover. And I completely disagree with him, but it's under context. And I think food plotters get this habit of finding something that they want to try they try it one time and if it fails they'll never ever do it again or figure out why it failed they just know it failed yeah they just yeah yeah so like you know that instance somebody saying you know recommending if i recommended to you robbie to you know don't plant your clover this spring plant it this fall we got to take it out of context we are as this episode airs Um, third week of April and where we're at in Pennsylvania here in the southern half of the state we are I would basically say this is the last week that I would even consider to plant clover in fact in this in the southern half of the state I probably wouldn't do anymore now is that because of the I assume the weather yeah it's all weather related when you plant clover late you got to remember clover's a perennial it comes back on a consistent basis, yeah. Uh, perennials take a very, very long time to establish, in relative to to like an annual yeah, plant. Yep, like if yep. you if you planted oats, like sometimes I think you throw oats and then you turn your back and then they poke out of the ground. Okay. Like if, yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I'm exaggerating, but yep. like that's how vigor sale because they got an annual life cycle. They're trying to push and make seed in one year, and perennials have you know, numerous years, you know, manage a clover plot. I know people have done it over 10 years. So if you start your clover plots earlier and where we're at in the southern half of PA here, you can be, I've seen clover started the last week of March and clover will germinate at a a lower temperature. I should have uh, looked this up because it's escaping my mind. Like I know you know, corn and beans, we can usually do that in soil temperatures around, you know, fifty degrees or above. You can go lower, I prefer not to, but you can we do in farming all the time. But clover's lower than that. And you can get started earlier, but the, the, the reason you would start earlier is not because the clover can, but it's because the weeds that are in the soil they will germinate at a warmer temperature. Okay. And they're vigorous. Yeah. So if you plant when it's too late and the soil's starting to really warm up your annual weeds are going to take off a lot faster than your clover okay yeah and then it chokes yep. it out and you can spray your clover and we're i want to talk about herbicides real quick you can spray your clover the thing is most of the herbicides you're spraying you have to wait until the clover gets its third trifoliate leaf so basically just shoots one two off the main stem three yep. and then you can spray it it's labeled good if you do less than that like when it's shorter. You run the risk of injuring it and uh, then you got to fail. So, I know people that when they're planting the same time you'd be planting corn and beans in May, they want to plant clover and that's a, it is the biggest time to fail. So, if you're going off of that mentality, you, you are going to fail. Yeah. But the uh, herbicide thing if you are already established your clover here a few weeks ago and it's starting to come up, I had some guys do this. I was out at a farm two weeks ago and i had them till till an old field it was an annual brassica blend last fall tilled it up and let it sit we had some some sunshine and stuff and warmed the soil we're starting to get some new weeds popping up and uh, he he sprayed it dead then and he uh broadcast it and, and cold packed it and he actually cold packed it Broadcasted a seed and cold packed it again. That should be a great stand, and that stand shouldn't have a lot of weed competition. And then give it about yeah 30 days, 45 days. Someone in that range will be able to hit it with herbicide. The everybody else who has clover, alfalfa, chicory, if it's established now, I'd be getting ready to hit it with herbicide. Um, you know, you want to hit herbicide when weeds are small. We're so used to Roundup. I mean, if you go out at, at your place and you fill up Roundup in just a spray jug on your backpack, yep. sprayer, you can spray, I mean, what's some of the tall stuff you've probably sprayed and killed it dead? Yeah. You know, you can hit stuff that's a, that's a knee high and above. Oh, yeah. and, I mean, Roundup just kills it. Yep. And with the herbicides you use over top of clover, chicory and stuff like that. You want to hit the when the weeds are small. I mean, two inches or less is ideal because then it kills them when they're young and they're susceptible. Yep. And then let the clover take off. So, touch and base, I've talked about this before, but I want to say it again. Herbicides on top of pure pure strand clover <clears throat> using butyrac and emazapir, which is uh, a trade name called Pursuit. You know, if you've used the Whitetail Institute stuff, Slay, that's the same chemicals. But four ounces per acre, I would be hitting that now, guys, if it's a pure stand of clover. Don't wait too late. Don't wait until you're turkey hunting mid-season and you're starting to get like ankle-high weeds. And you're going you're gonna to run the risk of, of getting some clover choked out. <clears throat> if, you have, uh, if you have chicory in your field, you can use imazomox chicory with your clover. Imazomox is basically a sister to imazapyr. And I'm starting to talk scientific, and it's get real confusing. But Raptor is the name that you guys need to keep in mind. Now, Raptor is one of those things where you can only buy it in like a gallon-sized jug, and it's not cheap. But this is where it helps to network. This this is I feel like sometimes hunters and and people in general are just real secretive. They don't want to share information and help each other. And like, I see herbicides as one of the biggest opportunities for guys to network, because if you've all got a clover plot and instead of somebody blind buying uh, a big jug, that's, you know, 400 bucks and, you know, it it going bad before you can use it. I mean, if you've only got an acre of clover of herbicide acre of clover and you've got a gallon jug worth of herbicide i mean it'll take you over 10 years to use that yeah and if you can network with guys another opportunity is talk to your farmers i just did that this week had a meeting with a guy and we were talking about his talking about his crop rotation he said i gotta get all my alfalfa with my raptor and i said oh do you have some He was like yeah i was like can i buy some from you <laughs> It's like, yeah, I can get it. and it I actually don't need it for me. A friend of mine had yeah. asked me, he's like, Do you think you could get me some Raptor? It's like, um, let me see what I can do. I know some people. Yeah. <laughs> but <clears throat> Soil test. Guys, if you didn't soil test yet and you're planning to plant here or you already did plant, fertilize based on the soil test, your fertilizer is first of all fertilizer is expensive that's why we did that episode a few weeks ago and base your fertilizer on the soil test to build your fertility then if you've got established clover and established alfalfa and let's say you 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 fertilized two years ago based on the soil test you're starting to build that up and you're wondering about top dressing you know you can go on with a 10 10 10 uh, triple 19 something like that and just hit it Hundred pounds to the acre, and that'll give you a sweet spot. But uh, I usually just put some <clears throat> some potassium on it, using zero zero sixty potash. Uh, that's a demanding nutrient, and you know you got to think about it every time deer eat something. They're taking that nutrient, you know, somewhere around half half of the. Just figure half. I mean, it's not exactly half, but anyway, they're taking it, and the minute they walk out of the field, that nutrient leaves the field. So that's demanding. You got to replace it, and then uh, if you want to give it nitrogen. You know, clover doesn't need it it fixes its own but sometimes you can you can sweeten stuff up with nitrogen but so I one of the reasons I wanted to talk about this stuff and I got Robbie on here as I'm talking about it how much of that did I lose you on Robbie?
2: <laughs> uh, quite a bit I mean once you I can't I can say the terminology you're using I've heard before or I know at least a little bit about. Um, what I get lost on now, I'm very much a beginner at it, but I, what I get lost on is maybe the, uh, uh, basically where you start, what, what to use and what, and what, uh, order to do stuff in and is it smart or not? How much, how much research, I guess, do you, do you have to do prior? Well, I was, I think the question that basically came to my mind is, so, you know, we have my dad and I and my, my brother, we have land up in new york that i know my dad wants you to get on to start thinking about trying to get food plots on sure. and and is it obviously we have you as artists at our disposal to help us out with that but how how uh lucky would you get would we get or how easy would it be if we just tried to go at it ourselves without much research is it like trial and error or are we just going <clears> to <throat> waste our time with trial and error
1: that's a really good question, and I, I mean, everybody started somewhere. Yeah, I've learned a lot of things the hard way sometimes, and I learned a lot from just researching on yeah. my own.
2: And I guess a lot of it is too. You got to at least have a l- know the land a little bit. You got to know what. I mean, I might be wrong, but you probably have to know what sort of crops are around in that area, what grows well, what especially a heavily wooded area like we have now. There's agriculture around it, but what types of trees are growing there, if anything can grow. Cause I'm sure some of these need more sunlight than others. And
1: well, yeah. And I think that's a really good, a good segue kind of into what I wanted to talk about next. And, you know, with spring planting comes everybody, you know, everybody sees farmers going out. They've had cabin fever all year. They want to get on their property. They want to plant, oh. they want to plant. And I ask the question all the time, should you be planting in the spring? Yeah. And it kind of goes along with what you're saying like how well would i do if i just kind of went at it and winged it or and the other thing you said is is does the shoe fit yep kind of like is this the right situation and talking about summer plantings corn and soybeans i have seen some very large fails in the world of corn and soybean plots So, again, I ask the question, you know, thinking relative to the northeast and how parcels lay out. I mean, you look at a parcel map on any kind of mapping unit, and I don't know what the average parcel size is, but so many of them are chopped up and small. A lot of us have, you know, anywhere from 10, 20, 30, 40 acres. And you ask the case, should you be planting corn and soybeans, you know, on your small plots? I can think of some some of my farmers that I've worked with that have properties that they, they hunt on. And it just makes sense for them. They got a corn planter. They got a drill. They got leftover corn and soybean seed. Well, hey, why wouldn't we plant it with corn and soybeans? Deer love corn and soybeans. And they do. But the problem is you, you take it into the scale of small food plots like we're used to. And I'm talking small. A two-acre food plot is a small food plot, most cases. <clears throat> and a two acre plot i've seen two acre food plots planted in corn in may and when i went through them in august september sometime looked at them there wasn't any corn at all left like they ate them before the they ate them before the corn ever produced a cob or it ever pollinated or as it pollinated they just bit it there and it was gone so should you plant corn and soybeans I think it goes back to scale back to that neighborhood <clears throat> um one thing i am a big proponent of and i am this is just me i'm, I'm not bashing anybody who does i am somebody that i am not interested in planting something or putting something out with the mindset of this is going to grow bigger deer it's going to grow a bigger buck not that I don't care about that, and it's not that I, I would say that's a bad thing. From my perspective, I don't think I can plan enough on the, the property sizes that I'm able to tinker with and have a big impact. And most of the time, when, when those things are focused on, you could be missing the mark on what is important on your property. Like, I always say, plug the lowest hole in the bucket, if that makes sense. So, you got to really figure out. So, if you've got a property that is, you know, let's just say you got a hundred acre property, and you've got ag land surrounding you, and you've got corn and soybeans and alfalfa in the general area, <clears throat> do you really need to have corn and soybeans and alfalfa on your property? On yours, yeah. No,
2: I wouldn't. I wouldn't think so. No.
1: Yeah, and some some people do. And here here's where here's the one exception I would say. When you've got you know, a property laid out with you know alfalfa adjacent to it, <clears throat> and you've got the bedding dominating on your property, you know, there's nothing wrong with having strips of alfalfa or strips of clover that relate to that. And there's nothing wrong with having strips of alfalfa and clover that lead to your main food plots. But you know I don't really rely on that from a sense of, I'm trying to grow something that they're just going to eat and grow big yeah, antlers. That they have to rely on. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, you know, same thing with a mixed property. I mean, if you've, if you've got all ag or if you've got a mixed property with ag in the neighborhood, do you, uh, <clears throat> I, I don't know. I, I struggle all the time with, with this concept too, because corn and soybeans are so highly attractive. I mean, when you think about going out to well, anywhere. I mean, where you got, where you guys were looking at that giant this past this past summer. Yeah, yeah. And that was all in bean fields, wasn't it? Yep. Yeah. So, you know, deer love them. No, yeah, yeah. But I, I think the most important thing that people have to focus on is, are you going to have that leftover in the fall? I think is, is basically what it comes down to. Like, are, does your property lay out, does your deer density lay out that... You can plant corn and soybeans with the acres you have and still have enough left over. Because if you don't have anything left over, like, it's expensive. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Now, from a a production standpoint this year, I got guys that told me it's going to cost like $800 an acre to grow corn. Like $800 an acre. Yeah. (laughs) So it's a huge investment. Now oh, yeah. it's cheaper from a food plot. So, you know we cut corners because it's a yeah. food plot. Yeah. There's things I would cut corners on, but think about that: eight hundred dollars an acre this year for corn. And if you're not, if I had, first of all, if I had eight hundred dollars an acre to plant corn, and I knew it was going to be there in the fall, and I could have hunting that would relate to that. Yep. Well, I would absolutely do it. Yeah. But. All the properties that I've been able to tinker with and, and stuff like that, I don't I don't have that. Yeah. And no, no. You, you don't either, and no. it, you know, most of the people we know don't. Yeah. So if you got room for it, great. But think about it when you're doing small plots. Yeah. The corn soybean market is is kind of crazy in food plots. I mean, I think people gravitate to that so close much because it's something they could see every day. I mean, we're we're here in Southeast PA we got a lot of ag. Yeah. It's not a lot relative to the Midwest. Yeah. No. I think there's almost like a misconception, like so much uh content hunting related, is from the Midwest. And they all talk about corn and soybeans to some degree. And relating that to here, I sometimes I just think it's like trying to fit a square peg in a round hole
2: sometimes. Yeah. yeah. Now and Kind of what you've been talking about. What kind of goes through my mind is when it comes to planning for these food plots and planning, planning this ag. It really depends on how the deer uses your property. Um, Like out west, they have these massive plots where it's where the deer feed, it's where they bed, and it's where they travel. It's all three in one. Around here, you might have, like you said, hundred acres or. majority of people have less than that and the deer just might be passing through just say you have 20 acres the deer might not bed there and they might feed in the ag field a quarter mile away it's your your property isn't really where they feed so is it worth the money to plant exactly what there is a quarter mile away to keep them there it's not going to keep them there and it's not going to grow them huge based on what based on what you're saying so well,
1: well i mean yeah, and that, that's that's kind of loaded too. But I mean, if let's say you've got a f- hundred acre property, you got ten acres of food plots. Yeah, and surrounding you, you've got fifty acres of soybeans in a, a squ- uh, square mile area. Yep, is another ten acres of beans going to be a big help? Yeah, as far as gaining quality for or some type for deer.
2: Eh, maybe. Yeah, but. That's yeah. That's what I was sort of getting at. Go ahead though. And if you if you if it does, if you
1: don't have food in the fall, like let's say they eat and decimate your beans down to nothing. Yep. If they if they do that and you don't do something about it, you have no impact in hunting this fall. You know what I mean? To hunt over. Yeah. And not only do you have nothing to hunt over, you don't have anything that deer relating to to keep on your property during daylight. You gotta have something. That deer want to be because with these small parcels and these, the, the, the confines of a small property, what is pulling them off of a property and onto a property? Well, deer move for a few reasons, but the big one is food. Yep. And the other big one is hunting pressure. Yeah. So if you've got low hunting pressure on your food, on your property, and you've got, um, high amount of fall food during hunting season, where's a deer going to want to spend his time in daylight?
2: That's where it's going to be.
1: And, you know, that's a really long answer and kind of a BS conversation. But at the end of the day, that's my logic behind corn and soybeans. I love corn and soybeans. I I hope one day I get to be on a property that has fields big enough that I can plant corn and beans and have enough left over that complement all the fall, the fall plots that we plant, you know, the brassicas, late planted, uh, you know, peas. I really like peas, small grains, that type of thing, you know, fall annual clovers, anything like that. Like those are all great fall food plots on small properties that deer can relate to before they go to ag. Yeah. But I I like it from the sense that if I could have corn and beans, why wouldn't I? Because if corn, you know, if you have corn and beans on your property that are saved and they get cut and harvested everywhere else except your property, well, the minute that that gets cut and harvested and there's still some on your property, then you're going to pull more deer. Yeah. But you got to get to November to do that. Yep. If if they're eating it in your small piece. That's like, um, I have places throughout the state, central Pennsylvania, Farmers that are just dealing with really, really high deer pres- pressure. I mean, they'll have, you know, 50-acre fields that'll have 100-plus deer in in a night, and it's all, all soybeans. And they they can decimate your crop, and it's it gets costly. And one of the things we've done to try to combat that is combine fields where, where possible. I mean, we use good farming practices to try to minimize erosion. You know, the old strips that we have in Pennsylvania, they were set up because years ago when we did a lot of tillage, you know, it, it reduced the amount of erosion and soil movement in a field when you had different crops in different fields because the rotation was different. Yep. Yep. You minimize that erosion. And now that we've got cover cropping and no-till and all these, these you know, farming things and we're reducing that, we're able to combine fields. Well, think about every time you talk about deer and deer hunting Everybody's like edge, 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 edge. Deer edge oriented. Yeah. You know, uh, the, the chop off is, is a new edge. And when it meets a swamp edge, that's another edge. And you get into a conifer stand versus a hardwood stand, like all those edges. Yep. That creates diversity. That creates wildlife attraction. And deer like to run those edges. Well, think about it from the perspective of fields. You know, we, we take these fields And they have, just just picture a 10-acre section that is two acres with five fields. It's a strip. It goes corn, beans, corn, beans, corn. Well, corn is going to hide deer, and then you got an edge for them to eat beans. So you've got four acres of beans that get absolutely decimated because the deer feel comfortable to be in there during day and night because they got corn as an edge and something they can jump and hide in. Yeah. Now... You combine fields, you've got the ability to reduce edge. You're reducing wildlife habitat in that sense. And it's going to hopefully, and it it does, I've seen it so many times, reduce the amount of pressure on the soybeans. Okay. So now take that into perspective of your your property. If you've got two acre plots here and there, there's a lot more edge and there's, there's more... Uh, wildlife space surrounding that, yeah. Than if you have large blocks, yep. So, no, that makes sense. <clears throat> yeah, it makes sense. But I'm just amazed how many people like it's. It's so much better than it used to be now. And I, I like I said, I didn't. I didn't learn this because I'm a genius. I learned it from other people. And I want to talk about some of this stuff because I've seen failures, and I'd. I'd like other people to not waste hundreds and thousands of dollars on plots, because what what irks me to no end is when people talk about food plots and are like, they don't work. They don't work. Well, you had a bad experience. Yeah. Yeah. But, so anyway, that was kind of my, my rant on if the shoe fits and when it's a good case. Yep. I can't wait to hopefully get up to the, that property that you guys have in New York and, and take a look at and just brainstorm how we can put plots on to make better hunting.
2: Yeah. And I think... I know my dad's pumped about it because it is tough. It's going to be tough up there because we don't get up there a lot in the in the off season. We try to get up. I know I'm being. We try to get up maybe twice in the spring, twice in the summer, twice before the season starts, and then during the season. And we want to get up there more for archery. And then the way everything works out with Pennsylvania, New York seasons. Uh, it's archery season, kind of overlaps with ours, and then they have their rifle season, and then we have our rifle season, and then they have their second season mm-hmm. right after our rifle. So that second season would be awesome to get up and archery hunt again. But like I said, we don't get up there a whole lot to really to really take care of a food plot. But my dad, what I was going to say, my dad's pretty pumped about it because th- where we're at, the one side of our property gets pretty decent hunting pressure. The other side is ag fields, and then the other side, not too much pressure. But the fourth side then is state game lands. Yeah. So we're kind of in the middle of like three different scenarios, where, based on what we've seen so far, and with how the winter is uh, up there, it's a little bit. It's south central, uh, maybe more central New York. So it's pretty severe winters, and we see a lot of deer movement but just on like one quarter and one qu- quarter of the property. Mm-hmm. And we're right. sort of hoping that if we get these food plots in, we can kind of either they stay there more or they start traveling through more than a quarter of it. They right. start traveling through th- three quarters of it. So
1: Yeah, you got 50 acres. You want to maximize 50 acres as much yeah. as you possibly can. Yep. I mean, it sounds like the hunts you guys have had and stuff you're – you, I mean you guys have killed some deer and seen yeah. some deer but it seems like it's a pass through property you know it'd be awesome if we could figure out a way how to keep deer on and I think we can do that with yeah. food plots but it it's a learning curve I mean every there there's no one size fits all to any of this anybody that tells you that they probably don't have enough experience I mean some of the stuff I'm talking about probably sounds like a one size fit all and that's because I'm still learning yep. you know there's there's you know the more properties and stuff you tinker with the better I just know from the case in point like I've been able to hunt southeast pa central pa north central pa anything from you know heavier ag to minimal ag to i mean complete big woods and i've just been fortunate that with farming and all the the places i get to go and see how wildlife interacts with cropland and then also how wildlife interacts with uh properties that people hunt you know so often I'll go to a farmer like hey you want to come check out my food plots. Yeah. I do that all the time. And just seeing like th- this in my mind this isn't working. Yeah. It's it's and how you can change that. But if anybody is going to be planting corn and soybeans this year, <clears throat> I wanted to touch base on just some things I think that could really help you in the long run if you're planting them. First of all, I wanted to just touch base on no-till versus conventional. This is a hot topic right now. You've seen tons of videos on YouTube, no-till plots this, no-till plots that. I love no-till. There's a lot of very important advantages to no-till, but it's not this magic dust. It is a learning curve, and you need to change your mindset, you need to change some things equipment related and timing related and stuff like that and there's things you got to learn in order to make it work. Um so let's go on a on a scale, uh, a big scale. Let's say, you know, we we we've done some plots with drills. Uh, I could probably find a two-row corn planter that I could do something with if I wanted to. But if, if you're somebody that has the ability to use that type of equipment, uh, the biggest thing is just moisture management, making sure you don't plant too wet. And food plotters often say, well, I'm going to plant this Saturday because that's when I'm free. Yeah. And if it rained like crazy all week, you know, a lot of people, conventionally, food plotters, they just disc it anyway and just say, well, it'll dry out. I got bare dirt and I'll throw, throw seed on it. Yeah. First of all, it's terrible for the soil and it's terrible long term. Uh, some people don't care. I do, and there's there's a lot of benefits that I'll bore you with scientifically, if and and just soil related that it, nobody's going to care about. But um, if you can make sure it's fit, I mean, if you can grab dirt, squeeze it in your hand, and it balls up, it's too wet. You know, it should crumble apart, and you want to do that. <clears throat> but most food plotters don't do no till plots. Because of that, what I just said, there's a, the, one of the biggest disadvantages is no-till is easier with equipment. You can do no-till without equipment. And there's a lot of great information out there, and I'm going to talk about some stuff today. But <clears throat> I don't think you can do no-till soybeans and no-till corn without a planter or a drill. Okay. Without doing it. So if you guys are doing conventional. Um. Just a couple quick notes. A bag of corn seed is roughly 80,000 seeds. It's gonna get you roughly two and a half acres. I usually figure if you're broadcasting 32,000 seeds per acre. Most places, let's figure we're going to have a little bit of loss because we're doing a broadcast and cold-to-pack method on bare dirt. We're going to have a little bit more loss. You might be somewhere in that twenty-eight to 30,000. That's, that's probably pretty good for almost anywhere in the state. But you're going to till your soil. You're going to have bare dirt shelling. Disc your seed in. Two inches is where you want corn seed. Corn, uh, any seed, for that matter, we usually figure the size of the seed times five and that's usually like the maximum depth we shoot for. So think about the size of a corn seed. Yep. You know, one, two, three, four, five. Right there is a pretty sweet spot. That's roughly two inches. Okay. And that's usually what I what I shoot for. Um, cold to pack. And a cold-to-pack is the most important thing when you're doing conventional. Guys, if you don't have a cold to packer do something to pack it, whether it's your tires or you drag a tree across it or something to pack the seed, get the air pockets out, smooth the field out. It's important. Um, let's talk real quick about <clears throat> corn herbicides and soybean herbicides to make this successful. Roundup... As we talked about in an earlier episode, glyphosate is pretty darn expensive this year, but it is important. Uh, I think it's something that's it's not that you can't do without, but it's, it's harder. But make sure you get a good burn down both your corn and soybeans. Quart per acre of Roundup, pint per acre of 2,4-D, and spray that seven days prior to planting or before that. Uh, you don't want to plant. You don't want to spray 24D too close to planting, or you get some you get some plant back issues, and you can have some injury on your plants. But as I said before, fertility, soil test to your soil test and fertilize to your soil test. Now with corn, your soil test you're getting your P, your your phosphorus, your K, your your potassium, magnesium is one, your pH. You got a lot of immobile nutrients. Nitrogen, it's a safe bet that when you do your disking, I would probably put 100 pounds per acre of 4600 zero, zero urea. I'd put about 100 pounds per acre on and disc it in. I mean, you could go out when your field is just weeds. You didn't touch it yet. Broadcast your 4600, zero, zero, till the field, and then broadcast your corn seed till that in and cold the pack when you incorporate that nitrogen it's going to get utilized by the plant a whole lot better and at that rate you won't have any problems and then i would say um with that amount of nitrogen that you put on you know give or take i mean you can you, you can be as progressive as you want for me i would probably do that again when the corn's starting to pop out of the ground your know, corn gets somewhere between ankle high and knee high uh, and, and you've got a tractor or a four-wheeler or a, a buggy or something like that that you can take fertilizer through do that again 100 pounds you're going to get almost 100 units of nitrogen out of that and for a food plot that's pretty good you're going to mineralize some in that you could push it higher but you're starting to get expensive so kind of my two cents on that soybeans i usually shoot for a food plot a little bit heavier than a bag per acre usually a bag is around a Seeds. If you do 140,000 seeds an acre, that's pretty darn good when you're talking agronomically. But when you're talking food plot and deer can eat them like crazy, you're really not hurting if you go a bag and a half of beans. I've seen people go two bags of of, of beans per acre. It's getting heavier. uh The more stems, if you've got a high deer density, base it on that. One bag per acre in a soybean is a lot is uh, is light is light. It's 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 not real heavy. Uh, herbicides in beans you can spray Roundup and 24D up front and clean the field up. Now one big problem I see is weed management after the crop is up. If you get Roundup Ready beans, you can spray Roundup and you can kill you know grasses and a lot of broadleaves. For those of you who know the weed I'm gonna bring up, you know it's a pain in the neck. It's called mare's tail. And mare's tail is a plant that can be really, really ugly in soybeans. And the reason for that is once the beans are up and out of the ground and there's mare's tail in the field, which is a real common plant in Pennsylvania, there's no herbicide that you can spray over top that won't kill the beans and will kill the mare's tail. Unless you've got, you know, s- some some special soybeans with technology that you're going to pay more money for, and then you spend more money on expensive herbicide. You know, your regular, just normal roundup ready beans, you can't do that. So one of the things that I have really found works well, and anybody can do this, they just got to go to a local ag store or a farmer. There's a herbicide called metribuzin. If you put three ounces per acre of metribuzin in your tank when you spray your roundup and your 2,4-D seven days before you plant your beans you are going to do wonders for that field and keeping mare's tail from germinating and then for soybeans I usually do uh, you know some roundup afterwards and that's that's pretty easy to keep them out uh, keep them clean and have a nice clean soybean field. You know, corn, we got a lot of Roundup Ready corn. You can get conventional corn. I get Roundup Ready because it's easier. Talked about this last fall. Wanted to talk about it again because now it's a time I can remind you and you can think about if you want to incorporate this on your property or not. Most corn planters are set up on 30-inch rows. Give or take, you know, the old ones are set up on 36 inches and you still got some people tinkering with other stuff, but like 99% of corn rows are on 30 inches. And if you do 30 inch row corn, and one of the most common things I see people, if you have corn on your property, most of us don't have corn planters, we'll just get the local farmer to do it and pay them to, to plant it. They have the seed, they have the nitrogen, they can do all that there, and then you manage it. And one of the things that I've thought about a lot, and I would incorporate onto my property if I had a property that I was planting corn, if you planted your corn on 60 inch rows, instead of 30, you're going to get more sunlight into the, into the soil, which is going to do one positive thing. It's going to allow you to plant something in August and have enough sunlight for it to grow. So you would be able to get green under the corn. You could get small grains. You could get brassicas. You could get clovers to grow, have enough sun that it would grow, and then also have grain standing.
2: Okay. I yeah. always
1: thought that that was something that I would absolutely imp- implement. I've seen people do this on a production scale for a number of reasons, and it is successful. It's just another learning curve. It's okay. a maintenance thing. The other advantage to doing 60-inch corn is if you've got a four-wheeler, most people that have a property and are doing stuff, if you've got a four-wheeler and you've got a, a sprayer on that four-wheeler, you can fit most four-wheelers. In between the rows at 60 inches, so you can go up and down the row when the corn is six, seven, eight feet tall, and you can be spraying weeds. Yeah, you know, normally for uh, production corn on 30-inch rows, we're using residual herbicides, and when we have residual herbicides, they're they're great for what they do. But I don't want to put residual herbicides in my food plots if I can't help it because I don't want to impede something else from growing in the fall. I don't want to spray something that's gonna hurt brassicas from coming up in the fall or in the future. So if you did that, you could spray Roundup two or three more times and just kill the weeds when they're young. Eventually the corn's gonna to get to a point where it's gonna to start to shade out. You won't have near as much weed competition. But when you do that last application sometime maybe in August, then you got a nice clean field, you can broadcast greens right into it. And you'd have a one stop shop and there's so many reasons why i think that would be cool and most of it revolves around uh the fact that deer are going to relate to the same location because they're going to have a food source there that lasts from the beginning of the season to the end of the season and they can relate to that and it it like they never run out of food until it's all yeah. so i mean if they want to eat clover and you have it there they'll hit that and when that becomes unpalatable or it's gone, they'll switch over to something else and, and so on and so forth. And I, I just love that concept for that reason, but I, I love it because when you have that predictable movement, it just makes predictable hunting. Yeah. You yep. can, you can count deer are going to be coming into those locations and you can hunt either on it or you can hunt what I like hopefully try to do is relate to it. I mean, we, we do a lot of hunting on plots cause we have uh, block box blinds. If I didn't have box blinds, I I'd, first of all I think think I'd feel lost. I think they're awesome, yeah. <laughs> which which sounds sounds foolish. Anybody who listens to this and they're not a food plotter, they're gonna this guy's an idiot, but <laughs> you know, or he's spoiled, and, I and maybe that's the case. But I mean, they, they are a great tool. Um, but I, you know, all I was saying was lead finding a place an ambush spot leading to it would be it's just a great opportunity. Oh man,
2: did I lose you yet? Nope, not yet. <laughs> no, Now, uh, it's a lot of information to take in, but it seems like one of those things that when you start doing it, you'll sort of catch on to to the processes of it quick. It, I mean, it sound like a nerd here, but it kind of reminds me of some engineering work that I do that if someone just explains it to you, it's like, oh my gosh, what are you talking about? But when you start doing it, you start practice, practicing it, whether you fail or you succeed, you'll learn at it, and then it'll just... Kind of be like I can't say clockwork, but it'll yeah. you'll get the processes down. You'll get and you can start trying new things then, and that's what it kind of sounds like. You just gotta be patient and persistent with it, sort of like anything with hunting.
1: Well, it is, and you got to keep in mind, like when it comes to the farming and it comes to the food plotting. I mean, the food plots aren't my day to day life, but ag is. Yeah, you know, ag is so a lot of this conversation. I mean, it's it it probably is, you know, to average Joe would be kind of confusing it would be like you trying to talk something engineering related to me and i'd be like what but um, i think most food plotters would be able to to kind of pick up what i'm putting down in a lot of sense for for getting a lot of this started kind of the last thing i wanted to leave everybody with today is when we were talking about should you plant corn and soybeans. Uh, I wanted to talk about what I have been brainstorming with uh with my uncle and, and my buddy that that we do stuff together and kind of brainstorming what we want to do this spring. So if you uh if you listen to our fall food plot episode last year, <clears throat> we uh talked about planting the Uh, Jeff Sturgis food plot blend and I I really like his his logic behind his his blends and what he's planting where but and if anybody who doesn't know that what that is uh, we planted all the food plots in the same blends but we did uh, half of it had a blend of brassicas that I created and the other half was Beans, peas, and oats. So I took the species and the concepts that he had talked about, and then I kind of tweaked the seeding rates to what I wanted. I went really heavy on peas, um, lighter on beans. And the oats were a nurse crop. They were important in that section because the oats grow up, and peas are viney. They'll grow up the oats, so it helps them kind of get going. What I also did was I added crimson clover in. Crimson clover was on the whole entire plot. We had uh, crimson clover in with the drill that planted the, uh, the the beans and peas. And that was that came up beautifully underneath. And then the other half was brassicas. We also had crimson clover in with them. Those two don't really compete that much with each other. And then the last thing we did was we had, we had taken some rye, an overseeded rye, on a bunch of food plots. So, you know, you think about what that looks like now. You know, here it is. It's April. And what those plots look like now, rye is greening up. You got some leftover brassicas, some clover popping up here and there. Then we got some weeds. We got chickweed, we got <clears throat> uh, some grasses, and stuff like that. So, looking at that, I am thinking I would like to take a drill or a two row corn planter and plant a summer blend. And I'm kind of going back to the episode we did with Tad Dalgowitz a few weeks ago, where uh, I, let, uh, I, I left go of the rains and let Tad go on a rant about uh, green manure and fertilizer uh, that comes from from plants and i'm going to go with that method i think this year the i don't have the seeding rates figured out yet and 100 percent of the species figured out yet but what i'm thinking we're going to do is plant a sorghum and add in sunflowers add in potentially cowpeas I don't want to get too heavy with that because I'm afraid the deer are going to annihilate them. But I might add them in just because you can. And I'm thinking maybe something like uh, sun hemp, which is a it's a legume and it, it's pretty fibrous. And probably add some buckwheat in. And I, I think I'm going to make that blend and, and plant it with a with the. I'm thinking the corn planter, and the reason I was thinking about doing that is, like I said earlier, 30 inches uh, of space. I'd be able to go a pretty long time with a four-wheeler, driving over top of it, not run anything over, and spray herbicide on it to kill stuff. Now, the one thing I wanted to make note of is herbicides and what to use. I actually found, I have some growers that grow a... a type of sorghum that is has a herbicide tolerance there's there's a herbicide that kills grass but it won't kill sor- this type of sorghum it has that it's it's not a gmo it just has a natural tolerance to it so i'm thinking if i take that plant and then i take a whole bunch of broadleaf plants that i just mentioned like the peas the sunflowers the uh you know, sun hemp stuff like that then what i can do is throughout the season if grasses are coming up I can clean grasses up with that herbicide and let that stuff shade out i'll still get some weeds but it'll really reduce the weed pressure my ultimate goal i want to get something that gets five feet tall and has a whole bunch of biomass because it's going to bring nutrients to the soil surface it's going to be something good we we got a problem where deer each out of house and home and just let the dirt bear all the time and that's terrible for the soil and it's really important to me because we're on mountain ground. Like I I swear sometimes there's like an inch of topsoil and then you get right to subsoil. Like there's, (laughs) it doesn't hold moisture. So I'm thinking if we can start doing a rotation like that, then what I'm thinking is when it gets to that August timeframe, when we would plant fall plots, I'll probably drill right through it. Um, You know, picture, picture 30 inch rows going down. If you plant, um, either across it or at an angle, that that matter on top, so to speak, it's just going to lay over and it's just going to be, the drill's going to go like like almost like comb through a hair okay. and let yep. stuff come up through it. Yeah. And then what I'm thinking is just let it go. If any of that clover or any of the, the sorghum has heads on it, you know, I'm not going to kill it. I just let it go and the deer can pick it as it wants when it matures. Same thing with the sunflowers and stuff if any of it's left. That's what I've been thinking about trying to tinker with. So I'll leave you guys with this. The, you know, if you have, uh, if if you hear this and you think, well, he's talking about a drill, uh, a planter, and I don't, I'm not going to do that. I can't do no-till with that. I wanted to leave you with this. You can do no-till. The way I would look at doing it, guys, is spray your fields sometime in mid-May, dead, crisp. Whatever's in them green, if it's, you know, leftover food plot from last fall like I had talked about, and you want to grow some kind of summer forage, if you spray it dead in May, uh, you should have soil exposed sometime in June, end of May, beginning of June. And if you've got soil exposed and you take some of the summer species like I just talked about in my blend, you know, especially buckwheat or sorghum or something like that, you can broadcast those right on the top of the soil before a rain. And if you have a packer or something to drag it, and you do that in addition, and you get a rain, you will get stuff to germinate. The The thing is, with no-till, uh, if if you take nothing else from this rambling message of of spring food plots, if you take nothing else from this, Residue management is the biggest thing when you're learning to continue or you're learning to convert to no-till food plots. So make sure you can see bare soil when you broadcast that new plant into it. Uh, get it going. And then when you want to do no-till in the fall with your, your fall blend, you can do it. but you got to watch your your residue. So don't plant this springs too thick. If you plant it too thick, you're going to get too much residue on top of the soil, and it's going to impede new stuff from coming. And don't plant too early. Don't be planting in mid-May. Plant sometime in June relative to wherever you are in the state, but figure <clears throat> sometime somewhere in that 8 to 12 weeks of growth and try to be matching a medium seeding rate with a medium growth height and something that when you lay over that, that material with a packer or you drive over it, you know, you broadcast seed into it and you drive over it and spray it dead, that it's not so thick that it's just a mat of green, that there's some space and there, there's, you've got the ability to get um, seeds, new seedlings that germinate up through that. So no-till is something that I I want everybody to really consider. I think everybody can do it. When you get the hang of stuff and you can pick people's brain on how they've done it, you'll realize you can save yourself a whole lot of time in the long run. The problem is it's just a learning curve. I went to a a food plot seminar one time, and the guy that was doing the seminar was a really, really knowledgeable guy. But the first thing out of his mouth was like, forget about that no-till your your disc will never fail you in plant and me being me that's just cringe yeah it just it's you can do so much better long run if you don't yeah so i'm just encouraging you if you're somebody who's always looking for the next step looking to get better try it try to learn pick other people's brains do your research. Do your research from people who have experience in this. Um, send us messages on Facebook and Instagram, or send us an email at pawoodsmanpodcast.com at gmail.com. Send us an email. Ask us questions. I will try to answer your questions as best I can when it comes to this stuff. Uh, I get a, As you noticed through this whole episode, I got I get detail oriented, but <clears throat> you can get lost in the details, and not be successful. You know, I, I try to take it step-by-step step as much so. You know, I I, uh, I, told Robbie when we were talking about this, I said, hey, I think it'd be a great idea if you'd come on and, and we chat about stuff and, you know, you can ask me questions. And I, we're here right around an hour with this episode, and Robbie's eyes are bulging out of his head like, <laughs> this freaking
2: guy is a whack job. No, I think, uh, like you just said, you get detail-oriented, orient- but... I think, like you said earlier in the podcast, if if you guys want to reach out to Mitchell and kind of describe your situation, he said it, it all kind of depends on the situation. Talk about your situation and those details. He can then correlate to what's going on with your with your plots, with your what sort of land you got. And I think that's what I, I know I'm going to take from this podcast. I learned a lot here, and I'm going to do some more research and talk to Mitchell a little bit more about the new york and everything like that but it seems like it it really does matter uh, what you're dealing with and what what will be successful and he just like he said you got to try try all sorts of different stuff and whatever be patient be persistent and and don't don't get down hard if something doesn't work out for sure
1: i i I throw the disclaimer out uh, a lot um I think I can help a lot of people when it comes to the, sprint, the the food plots, the how-to, the management, and have nice nice food plots. And our channel, I definitely think, can help a lot of you guys try to get on deer. Um, I'm, I I feel like I'm in the game every single year. But the other thing is, you know, continue when it comes... When, whenever you're doing stuff with food plots, whether you're listening to this channel or any other channel... <laughs> that you can find make sure it's relating to what your goals are you know if you've got a goal of shooting a certain deer in a certain type of location you know when you take advice from people make sure they uh they've got something that mimics your situation you know if, if you're listening to me and you're in the midwest or out west somewhere and you've got completely different habitat and stuff i'll, I'll be the first to admit it some of the stuff i'm talking about might not relate to you, yeah, and don't take my advice, yeah, but I think based in this region and and certain parts of of the the country, I think some of the stuff I'm talking about is is plenty legitimate for for both hunting strategy and food plot strategy, so you know, keep listening to uh keep keep tuning into sportsman's Nation. we got so much great information out here, we got some great guys on this team that are talking about hunting strategy constantly and how to get on good deer how to relate um how to relate food plots how to relate you know terrain how to read bedding features public ground um you know the, a lot of the guys that i network with on this this network we uh they're, they're helping me as much too i mean i'll i pick their brains and listen to their podcast too, try to relate it to my hunting
2: yeah yeah, and that's that's the whole point of it. It's a big community, big community in hunting, big community in deer hunting, Pennsylvania hunting, and that we just all of us on here just want to spread some knowledge and and get some feedback and and just all want to learn, get better as get better as hunters. So,
1: yeah, I'll leave you with this. Keep keep con keep the context. Orient. keep things context oriented if you want to send send some hate mail on some food plots and stuff you don't agree with, that's fine but just make sure um you've got context for your hate mail and i'll try to give you context of why i said what i did but uh you know that's why i said earlier like there's there's places that you know there's information out there that might be good information but if it's taken out of context you can have a fail yep or uh just just there are bad, there is bad information out there. You go to the wrong places, you can find some stuff where people don't have experience. You know, I'm not going to claim to be the, the 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 greatest deer hunting strategy person in in the world. There's uh, there, there's no doubt about that. But I think when it comes to uh, putting plots and trying to put them in the right places, you know, I, that's that's what I was trying to get at. Yep. But I think we rambled on long enough. But, oh, I did. You didn't do much <laughs> rambling. You were probably thinking, man, this guy won't shut up.
2: Now I'll do some rambling on another another episode on more deer-oriented, but no, like I said, I'm I'm excited to keep learning about food plots and start to implement them into my deer hunting strategy.
1: I I think so, too. I think that property that you guys have has a lot of potential, and I'm hoping we can get some stuff on it so you guys can kill stuff, and who knows, maybe I'll bug you guys and I'll come try to shoot something. That sounds awesome.
2: We got turkeys up there? Yep. Yeah, we do. Uh I'm trying to think of his last... Last spring, last fall, I think it was two years ago, it had a whole flock, 15, 16, 17, out there. Uh, yeah, we have everything. I think, I'm pretty sure we saw some bear up there, too. So, And like I said, that state game lands across the street. I, I don't know exactly how many acres it is. Massive, massive area. But it uh, it's some good... I think it would be some good hunting up there. It's different, I, historically different, because there wasn't the point restrictions, and you go into a sportsman's shop up there, and it's all these little tiny deer hanging on the wall. It's okay. different than around here in the Midwest or anything, but more recently they have more restrictions, so I think it could could grow into a, a good 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 spot. Well I'm just thinking like if you got
1: turkeys up there, you ought to be able to kill one here in Pennsylvania the and first day there. and then go up to New York, right? That'd be
2: cool. Yeah. Yeah.
1: No, that'd be pretty cool. I'd love yeah. to do that. Yeah, the only problem is first day we're we're doing something else the first day, aren't yep. we? Yep. Yep. Bachelor party. Yeah, so somebody's some... getting married.
2: <laughs> Yeah, so there's gonna I said we can we can go if guys want to go out, they can go out, doesn't matter to me, but <laughs> Yeah, but I said to Robbie's like, L- "Robbie, this is your weekend.
1: This is your bachelor party. You know, we're going to camp." I'm like, "What do you want to do? Do you want to go turkey hunting?" And you were like, "Nah, I'll probably just hang out in camp." <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, I like, like what uh yeah uh, Matt said last week. Uh, Matt Dale said he said the best hunting in PA is mid-May, so I'm just going to go by that strategy.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, that might be true, but I think the best time to go hunting is when you can go. Yeah, so. I know exactly. But well, hey, um, thanks for listening, guys. Hopefully, you made it to the end of our food plot rant. Um, Hopefully, you took something from it. Don't be uh, don't be afraid to send us some some messages if you got any questions. And uh, we'll catch
2: you on the next one. Yep, see you guys.